as I get up this morning. Cold and frosty, with condensation speckling the window pane, and I look out upon the river, which is flowing furiously this morning, leaving white bubbles on the surface, spinning and spinning, turning and turning. I think of Kathy and Heathcliff in Wuthering Heights because I am still deeply inside that tumultuous world. A reading life, a writing life, with writer and teacher Sally Bailey. A cold and frosty morning and the windows are full of speckled drops of water, condensation, and I try to wipe them with my finger. And I wonder whether the windows in Wuthering Heights were full of wet rain and whether the rain had got in in the night, whether the window had blown open. Let in the weather, as my boat often lets in the weather. As I reach for my kettle on the grate, I wonder how much running water they had in Wuthering Heights. I imagine they had to fill water from a well how long it took them to make water on the stove. Kathy making her tea in the corner. Kathy and Heathcliff, the servants of Hindley with his foul temper. Did he shout at them in the morning to make tea? furious flame of Wuthering Heights. Where I imagine hands are always cold and tempers are always hot and heated and rising, rising to the rafters, to the ceiling, to the ceiling. Wuthering Heights where I imagine hands are always cold Hands are always cold and fires. Here is my fire, my stove. Remain unlit unless ordered, unless ordered by Hindley, who is the first master of Wuthering Heights, the first tyrant. My green kettle is stirring into life, slowly, slowly on this cold and frosty morning. She is still slumbering.
so I will continue to stretch my legs. High upon my kitchen sideboard, four feet by two feet, my legs tensing out the nerves. Inside my narrow passage, because my legs are tight, my muscles are tight, my nerves are tight from being curled up tight all night. call these my morning movements. Morning movements, small rituals. Drinking a cold cup of water, first thing, very bracing. While I wait for the kettle to boil, to stir from her slumber, and I think of those children in Wuthering Heights and wonder how cold their hands are. Kathy and Heathcliff, Kathy and Heathcliff stowed away by the cold grate in the back kitchen, waiting for some heat, waiting for some heat, Hindley's temper, Hindley's temper, that's the heat, that's the heat. And I stand looking out at the bubbling river. She is coming to the boil too, with white bubbles on the surface, splitting open in the light, creating arrows, arrow shapes, spear shapes, passing by my window. A bubbling brown serpent coming to life. She is boiling, she is boiling. I see the shape of spears being formed from her dark ripples. A primeval serpent stirring to life. As I drink my hot tea, I'm going to tell you how it is I prefer to live, if you can mind the sound of my tea, because my hands are very cold this morning. My mother would say it's very rude to talk while you're drinking your tea, and it is rude to talk while you're drinking your tea, but my cup is very warm, and my hands are very cold. 
This is how I prefer to live. Inside a narrow passage, standing here as I am in my kitchen, galley, six feet wide. But the little space I reside in is perhaps two and a half feet wide. After you take out the wood, the planks of wood, my sideboards. But I prefer to write inside narrow passages. I prefer to live that way from this narrow boat, six feet wide where the sky remains closely seen. From my transparent circle of light, my porthole to my right. And the sky is blue and green today because no place is ever one thing. And I have no idea why they taught us the sky is blue when we were children. When we were children. The sky is rarely blue. And my sky is blue and green and white and yellow and gold and often turning pale. Because the sun never shines very confidently here, does it? And I am wondering why it is we choose to live indoors without the sky and the green leaves pressed up close to us. Why is it we have chosen to live inside boxy houses, far from the sky and the falling leaves and the running river and the running river, shadows, shadows on the surface, her dark thoughts, my river, her dark thoughts, she is always busy thinking, my river. Why have we chosen to live so far from the sky and the green leaves pressed up close? The sky and the falling leaves. Because everything falls in nature and we are falling too. Every day our skin sheds some more, some more, those falling leaves. And I am always trying to cover my hands in soft emollients, cream cream to stop my hands from shedding those falling leaves because my hands are dry from the cold from the cold and from the soot from the fire and from the water the cold water and from the opening and closing of taps and from the rubbing of my hands against wood from rapping on the window pane to dislodge the water the cold drops of water in the morning which I try to displace with hot water from my kettle. And I rub my window. With hot water. To take out the cold, to take out the cold. Falling water, falling water down my window pane and now my hands are cold and now my hands are wet but I am surrounded by water and sky because nothing is ever dry nothing is ever dry and I think of Wuthering Heights as I did as a child when I read her sitting by the cold grate wondering how they kept warm and if they did and if they did and who it was who hogged the fire 
and I imagined the ceiling very low, very low, and Heathcliff barging into the kitchen parlour and up the stairs, his body banging against the wall, scraping rough splinters. Rough splinters, because Heathcliff's body will not fit within small spaces as mine does here. Back and forth, my hips go back and forth in my narrow passageway, my kitchen galley. I can feel the boat shake as I move side to side within my small space, my narrow passage. But I think of Heathcliff's body, which will not fit inside a small space. All that rage, all that history unprocessed and undigested. And so I know. And so I know Heathcliff would not live inside my narrow boat, but on the roof. He would sleep on the roof. Heathcliff would lie out upon the roof in a tent of his own making so he could watch the tilt of the stars and call out, call out to the past, to the past, whenever he felt the urge of it returning. To Cathy, to Cathy Earnshaw, to Catherine Linton, who betrayed him. To Cathy, to Cathy, to Cathy Earnshaw. To Catherine Heathcliff, as she never became, because Cathy was never his. No. She was never his. Instead, instead there was a hubbub. There was a hubbub. There was a hubbub. And I rest my leg. I rest my leg which often aches upon the edge of my boat's sideboard, one foot by four, the small space in which I prefer to house myself. And I think of the proportions of Wuthering Heights and how low the timber beams must fall upon their heads when they go to light the fire. And how high the sparks must fly and how cramped the children must be behind in the back kitchen where Cathy reaches for her diary. This, this, her notebook her notebook from which I am speaking to you, to you. And my pot of ink, my pot of ink kept on the shelf as I push open the house door ajar. Ajar. To give myself some light. door ajar, my little window. I push her open to give myself some light. Kathy, 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 Sally, Sally. Sally, the writer, the dreamer, who would prefer to sit and write in her book, but that her scampering companion would prefer to roam the moors. 
for Heathcliff. For Heathcliff, the sky above is his shelter, and the moors are his home, for there, for there, beneath the lowering sky, there are no cruel markers of place, no divisions, no sets of people or place, no rank, no difference between heaven and earth. Sky and sea, the air and the ground. Henley would call him a vagabond for his desire to scamper around the moors there there. But there, you see, Hindley cannot call him a vagabond. And he can be master of his own destiny and follow the storm. The storm, for the real threat, you see, is being turned out of doors, out of doors, out, out, out. And it is Hindley. It is Hindley that would do that turn him out of doors, turn Heathcliff into a Nemo, a no-name, a no-one, out, 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 turn him out of doors into a no-man. And it is that that really hurts. It is that. your own home. Not the frowning sky itself, and not the rain, and not the knifing wind, but the turning out, the shame, the lowered head, the hands held out feeling for the unknown future, the foster child. Where does he go now? He has lost his other self. Where does he go now? And what is he feeling for? Feeling for, feeling for. And I think of Mr. Ramsay because he does that. Mr. Ramsay, one dark morning, stumbling along his corridor, feeling for his wife, Mr. Ramsay, Virginia Woolf's grieving husband, to the lighthouse. He is feeling for her. Mr. Ramsay, Stumbling along a passage one dark morning, stretched his arms out. But Mrs. Ramsay, having died rather suddenly the night before, his arms, those stretched out, remained empty. And I stretch out my leg and I stretch out my leg to feel for, to feel for, to feel for my next breath, my next breath. And I wonder as I reach my hand out along my narrow corridor at night, 
or in the morning as I just have reaching for my kettle and my cold tap to fill her how well lit that passage was for Mr. Ramsay and whether there was a crack of light coming in through the curtains to guide him and whether his toes were bare or covered in thick cotton and whether he held a candle in one hand or a lantern but I doubt it I doubt it no Mr. Ramsay travelled alone down that dark corridor, pressed in only by his dreams, feeling for his beloved wife, whose figure, whose figure dances before him, a blithe spirit. Not lost, but found. Not lost, but found. For Mrs. Ramsay has found her way home, as all maternal spirits do as they go wandering for lost children across the moors which funnels down as the wind does into that corridor of grief. Six feet by four, two feet by two if you take away the wood. It is very narrow down here, very narrow, very narrow along this corridor. You have seen it, you have been down there surely, and the light was coming up. The light was coming up when you felt your feet upon the cold stone floor beneath, along that cold corridor of grief. Frozen the floor was, frozen, frozen. The tomb. The tomb where you kept feeling for feeling for all those buried beneath you and all those still to come. But you know, but you know, you know what it is to come at the end of this dark corridor, six feet wide, surely six feet wide, I say. I live upon it, I live upon that corridor and my floor, my floor below my feet, is covered in thin boards. And I tread the boards, I tread the boards, and I lean down and I tread the boards, and I lean down and I tread the boards, and I pull them up. I pull up my boards, my thin wooden boards. I pull up the boards and I see, I see the ghosts of my ancestors laughing and dancing down below down below, down below, because there is a place called paradise. It is just we dare not let it in to this life. We dare not let it in, because we are too intent on busyness and chores, putting on the kettle, putting on the kettle. Lighting the fire, wiping the windows, wiping the floor, cleaning out the grate, our busyness, our morning busyness. We are too intent, we are too intent on busyness and chores leading, leading to what? 
little significance, our great significance. Why, of course, our significance, we believe. But I am not so sure. I am not so sure all of this rushing around and doing and doing and filling in those lines upon the calendar and in our diary. What day is it today? What day? Monday, Tuesday, November. It was just All Saints Day. The other day, all that filling in of boxes and sorting and sorting of boxes of days gone by and jobs done and the children done and the husband done and the prizes got and the shiny medals garnered and the books and the books, all those books I write lined up upon the shelves. Where do they lead? Where do they lead? Only that narrow corridor one dark morning where, with our arms outstretched through the softening light, we begin again to see what it is we had never done. What it was we left undone. Love. Love, love, we left love undone because we were too busy passing it by as we stepped over and passed on towards our busyness. So many busy mornings spent, so many spent and spent and passed on and by and by as we grabbed and clutched at hats and coats and bags, spilt out upon the floor. Who left that there? Who left that there? Was that you? Was that you? Did you do that? While love, while love sat in the corner and waited patiently, like little Jack Horner eating his pie, wondering what all the fuss was about. As we stepped by, Thank you for listening to A Reading Life, A Writing Life. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please like it, give us a review, or mention us to friends or on social media. Thank you.